This episode of Life of Mine is brought to you by Tasman Safety and Training Services. Now, Terry and the team at Tasman are Australia's premium provider of safety and training services, ranging from shop fire courses, refuge chamber servicing, harness inspections, and much, much more. You can contact Tez and the team at Tasman via info at taztraining.com.au. So if you need to get some shop firing courses into action, make sure you get in contact with the team at Tasman. Okay, let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to Life of Mine, your go-to mining podcast. Matty Michael here as per usual and today I give to you part one of my interview with Northern Star Resources Executive Chairman Bill Beeman. Now this was an amazing experience and I was so privileged to be invited into the Northern Star Resources head office in my new set of clothes that I bought from Jeans West and we had a we had an awesome chat for a couple of hours, hence why I've split this up into two episodes. We, we could have gone on for another couple of hours, but anyway, all, all the more reason to hopefully, hopefully get another invite from them. So in this part one episode, we'll, we talk about the early years of Bill, uh, from his father's influence to his Wasm days, some of the well-known characters he got around with in, at Wasm, and then on to his early days with Bar Minko and some of the great mentors he had within that organisation and then all the way to the the acquisition of Paulson's that that left Northern Star with only a few grand in the bank. It's just absolutely unreal to hear it all. Trust me, you, you're just gonna you're gonna love this. So anyway, without further ado, here we go with part one of my interview with Billy Beeman. Copy your shift I'll get a radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy old Bill. Yeah, copy, mate. Yeah, stitch her up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, righto. Copy that. Bill Beeman. Uh, mate, I'll just rearrange me, Mikey. I've got the new mic set up just purely for, purely for you, mate. How are you, bud? Very good, big fella. Oh, it's been, as I was saying before, of... Uh, Last time we had an actual meet-up was in the uh, the Balcatter offices back in uh, the humble beginnings of Northern Star. It was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, and it sparked the story. I'll throw, sorry to throw you on the bus straight up, but we, I rocked up there and you offered me a coffee and you you made me a coffee and um, you spilled all the coffee grounds all over the ground. You had this little look across your shoulder, you're like, right, oh, someone else will sort that out. Come on in here. <laughs> Come on. Oh, oh, yeah. It couldn't have been you. Yeah, I think that might happen. Well, at least uh, I made you a coffee. Yeah, yeah. It was bloody good too. Yeah, loved it. <laughs> oh, so, mate, uh, Northern Star Resources all-time share price high today. Congratulations. Mate, Thanks, mate. What, and I guess from that from that day eight years ago, the humble beginnings in the Balcatter office to, to now, is it a blur? It'd have to be a bit of a blur, wouldn't it, what you've, you this... and your com- company have achieved? Oh, it's gone pretty quick, yeah. But... Um... I'm very fond of that Bellcatter office because our whole, I don't know if you're a member of I got to show you, but the, the main room there where all the accountants and payrolls and HR, well, actually we had no HR um, then, back then. Um, I think I was the HR manager. But they, all, they, all, they all had no natural light. There was no window. Yeah. We were only yeah. commenting the other day. They were literally like mushrooms hiding in a closet and uh, we gave them a little bit of uh, coffee and some bread <laughs> and water each day. But, and, but all those people are still working here today. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. But awesome. how, how, was that, how did you, I guess, the, the natural natural thoughts of like, right, I'm going to start a mining company. Um, where am I going to position this? How, how did the Balcatter office actually come, come to fruition? Um, probably a better story is how we got out of it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, nah, look, it's, it's, we, um, you know, we, when I joined Northern Star, we're just a little exploration company up in the Kimberleys and, and the GFC hit and, you know, we, you know, we battened down the hatches and we had to find a new investor. Um, which happened to be a guy called Mike Fodius. And it was his office at Balcatta. So, yep. you know, part of Mike's thing, he didn't want to run the company, but he, he wanted to be, you know, support it, back it, back a vision. Um, and But part of the deal was to, to work out of his office. Yep. Um, and it was good commercial turns, but, um, but you know, as you as you grow and kids mature and, you know, they've got to leave home so, sooner or later. So uh, we had to get out of there and we were there for a couple of years, which was great. Some good memories, but... Uh, um, we've skipped a couple since, and we're now in Subiaco, which is not a bad spot. It is, it is, and I, like I've never, I, I don't drive through Subi too often, but I, I was 
Um, it was good to see that big Northern Star logo out the front of the. I was trying to find where to go, but uh, like God, you couldn't, you couldn't bloody miss it. Strategically uh, yeah. located too. <laughs> I thought while I'm in here, I better get it like a takeaway coffee. You know, experience the city life. It's um just coming from like you know down south, and oh, well, I wear PPE for half my life, and uh, it's funny driving into the city just seeing how this whole other part of the world lives like just with the and as you see i put it on facebook actually bought clothes for this i normally i think when i interviewed macca the other week i rocked up in a flanny and the the missus said uh yeah you can't do that again you need to actually so she we went to jeans west of all places yeah well, you actually dressed better than me today yeah i know well viewers can't see it anyway yeah. but. <laughs> I'll, I'll put some oh, remind me well i've got to get a photo before i keep always have plans to get a photo to actually show that this is me doing all this now you, um, you haven't done a disclaimer yet before this which chat. part which part <laughs> you gotta do your northern star disclaimer or you want me to do it oh yeah yeah i'll leave that up to you mate so listeners <laughs> if you if you aren't aware because you know whenever you do these things there should be a bit of a disclaimer about you know what you're doing and what you're saying but but uh old sunshine here nicknamed sunshine <laughs> And I don't know if you know how he got that nickname, but uh, he fell asleep at the Cottesloe Beach and got burnt. Oh, so yeah. The, boy, the boys up at Paulson's gave him a nickname, Sunshine, so maybe that can stick. And it's oh, not Sunshine Minor. It's just, you know, maybe a few too many drinks at the ABH. Yeah. And I think I think I fell, I, there's a good chance I fell asleep in the dark <laughs> and the, the sunburn happened later on. Oh, there you go. But yeah. the big disclaimer is he... he you did work for Northern Star there. I think you, you joined us as a graduate. Yeah, straight. Well, it was funny. Um, one bloke forwarded me on to another bloke who forwarded me on to another bloke, which was Carrot, all the way from AKA Sydney. AKA Carrot. Yeah. And yeah. Now, and he's, then, he's the bastard we're going to blame. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then Carrot's hooked me up. And this was actually just right when you started. And you, oh. you called me personally to, uh, to offer me the job. And, um, yeah, I was fed. And, look, we'll... Uh, I don't want to interview myself on this episode, and oh, like I've alluded to it in plenty of other episodes. The way, that, oh, look, I dedicated a whole episode on how to be a good engineer based on the mistakes and attitude that I had, and and unfortunately, you, <laughs> Northern Star, experienced it first out of uni. <laughs> oh, anyway, but was, you know, you did you did do your time underground. So you were yeah. three months in the office, and you went underground and, and yep. did a bulky time, and I think you got right to the end of your uh, your drill time, and then you said you wanted to move on. Yep. So Big Stralo said to remind you, you owe Northern Star $100,000 in training. <laughs> oh, a bit of free sponsorship coming up, maybe. Oh, something, 100000 that's pretty. What's he applied in? He would imply, apply an inflation factor to that over oh, the years, oh, <laughs> I'm sure you got paid well back then. But anyway, that's a disclaimer. Yeah, Sorry, over yeah. to you. Oh, yeah, well, I suppose I'll throw you under the bus with the coffee grounds. So that's only, that's only fair. But I was like, I look back on that, and we were just talking about it before. I was, I was a part of history there that when, that inaugural I've still got the t-shirt the inaugural mining crew that were Northern Star Mining Services and that was just, it was something it was so awesome to be a part of uh, and seeing the as you said the, a lot of the people are still working for Northern Star and look I only um, worked yep. a bit with alongside Bud O'Shaughnessy last yep. year and he you know you can see what he achieved with Northern Star and he was the one of the first the first jump operator yep for Northern Star Mining Services. So it was, yeah, look, it was great to great to be part of and it was a, it was a great little mine and we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, yep. uh, but it's, um, yeah, she was just a unreal, just this little bloody quartz thing poking out the top of the hill and what, what lies beneath. It was, yeah, it's just fan, fantastic and we'll, we'll get into that. I've got a specific question about was that no good business or a bit of luck involved? But, uh, mate, I remember when I first uh, first met you and um, you, you pulled me in for a bit of a pep talk into the office and you explained you talked about your father and how you get your, your I guess the word you used was workaholic you got you got that from your father tell, tell us about your father and his I guess his business and the, the values he instilled in you to get to where you are in, in your high street office today yeah the old man or as I call him boss um, and uh, yeah look my old my dad's uh, a diesel mechanic by trade, so um, he did that for you know the bulk of his sort of early life and into his you know sort of early forties and uh, and sort of had a vision, um, you know, and uh, he you know was fixing up tractors and headers and working out on farms and living out farms. I spent my first couple of years living out in the farm, uh, actually first ten years living out in the farm, 
And uh, the old man had a vision of creating a business where you, you buy second-hand tractors and headers and dismantle the parts and on-sell those parts to, to farmers. And uh, mm. uh, the business was called Conning Up Machinery Wreckers, and it's, a, it's still a business going today. Um, it's gone through two hands since Dad sold in 2007, but it was a very successful business. Yep. Um, and he created that in his mid-40s and, and had it for 20-odd years. And I was out, his only son... And, I pissed him off there for a while because I, <laughs> I didn't take it on. I went mining instead. Yeah, but, oh, he sent you I, to the big smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it's, you know, look, that was a very good business. And, you know, there's a couple of fundamental things that he taught me. You know, first of all, is work ethic. I think that, that beats everything, you know, whether you're brainy or dumb or whatever, it doesn't matter. If you've got work ethic, you'll, you'll eventually get there. Um, you know, honesty was another thing. He was a very honest business. He was a bit of a prick at times, but he was still honest and straight. I and think you got to you got to be a bit ruthless sometimes in in, in the business world. Like you, you get walked yeah. over otherwise, essentially. Oh yeah, you, you, uh, yeah. As long as you're honest and fair, and 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 you you do the right thing, it'll always come back to you. But but no, and look, a couple of things that I sort of reflecting on when you were asking me this sort of stuff was you sort of reflect on some of your own DNA, and you, you get it from somewhere. And and I was starting mm. to look at what did my old man do in his business. And one thing he did is he. He looked after his workers, like he he paid them well, really looked after them, and they worked hard and all that sort of stuff. And and that was you know back then that age, but but he did really look after them. A lot of cash, you know, cash bags and that sort of stuff, you know. And mm. as you do back then, and, yeah. and you know looking after them, you get the old crayfish or two or whatever. But you know he was he did look after his workers. In fact, his main guy's still running the show there now. Yeah, and right. he's um, been there thirty years. Yeah, he's two years older than me, and uh, he's you know dad looked after him and and did the right thing um the other thing he, he always did is he he took on the youngest and brightest um and he took them on from people that he knew which was really important so there's a lot of a lot of people i went to school with and knocked around with my mates they all went there and worked there for 10 years you know as an apprentice or as a young kid at 15 16 that dropped out of school and left there at 25 and then went and worked for cbh or something like that but he took on young bright kids um, from people he knew, and it's a bit like what we do with Wasm. You know, we, I oh know you, you know, you, oh, you yeah, know, well, it's gonna. I don't know. I got let in the building. Yeah, New South yeah, Wales. Let into the building. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about Wasm later on, but but yeah, that's what we do. We we yeah. take the youngest and brightest, and from people we know, and we know Wasm, and we know those institutions, and it's no different. And I was reflecting on this answer, going, I think I got that part of my DNA from what my old man did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, look, he, you know, he, there's a lot of things there, and you know. You know, no one's perfect. You know, my dad's not perfect, but he instilled some great business acumen into me from an early age. And one thing he always taught me too at the back end was never work for anyone else, um, which is not mm. that easy to do in business. But you know, I've created a few, especially in mining, yeah, and mining and, as well. And um, you know, if you're entrepreneurial, back yourself is probably what he taught yeah. me. And and uh, and that's I've always had that motto. And you can't do it initially. Yep. Um, when you've got to get your experience and your time, but eventually you can make that step out and, and use your entrepreneurial and have a crack yeah. what about like that's i guess we focused on your the business stuff you installed and you what about as a father like a, a father balancing like, like shit all the work he's done and like and obviously yourself you got a few kids and like just balancing all these international trips and everything like that's that that's a whole nother business in it in itself and it's i guess it's something that fears me as well being a father going to like every everything every every time you want to go do more work you've got to try and balance it or you might be taking it away from your family time so mate it's hard like yeah. it doesn't matter what level you are in mining whether you you're the nipper or you're the executive chairman. Um, one thing I learned about mining is it's not in the city. And yeah. you're away from home at long periods of time. I travel more than I probably would do if I was doing FIFO. Yeah. Um, away from home. And that's just reality of the of the business and, and the nature and, and that's not that's not easy. It's not easy on families, partners. Yeah. So look it's you know, everyone's got to deal with that. Um, yeah. um, what I learned from my dad a lot, my dad was a workaholic, so he was hardly at home as well. So, you know, I probably what it took me a long time to work out is not to do that. Yeah. And I've only just recently worked that out too. That's not yeah. not something that um, you know creeps up on you and you you, you, know, you have those issues and you you got to sort it out. So yep. I'll sort of learn more what not to do than what mm. to do if you know what I mean. Oh, and look, I've just and I'm on a very very much lower scale like with just even just setting this whole expedition up and I'll just 
no, like Ender and Fife at the same time. Like you're just, uh, yeah, just trying to trying to balance it with the kids, but trying to, and you start missing out on stuff. But uh, and as you say, you probably had to get to some points like, right, I've just got to blank three days out and just and and have a bit of a break. And that's what I've had to start doing. As I said, on a much lower scale, but but it's no, all, but it's, yeah. it's something that I think you know, like I copped a lot of flack when I was um, ops ops manager of WA Barminko years ago back in 2004, 5, 6 and 7 and, and I was the first to bring in even time rosters yep. in, in the underground contracting side. Yep. Um, you know, jump operators we started with and we went down tiers of levels and I copped a lot of abuse from my competitors on that, you know, saying, yeah, what are you doing that for? It's two and one and, and I just thought, well, mate, you've got to balance your work life out yep. and if I won't do it, then how do I expect other people to do it? So, yep. yeah, and it's still there's a bit of two and one through there but, you know, if you look at you know, Northern Stars rosters predominantly we're even time across our, mm. our company and it's because mate you got us you know there's more to life than work yeah and uh, family's very important yeah yeah and it's I guess it's uh, <laughs> I know I've had to I've looked back on the 10 like you work you, you can and it's instilling those values as well to like look if you are doing two and one and week on week off it's like we've got to make the most of the money because if we're just pissing it up the wall and having all that time away it's all to pretty much no avail so it's uh it's all part of the part of the message we're trying to get across here it's pretty diverse yep. range of messages turn we've off got. those mobile tab accounts mate. Uh, yeah <laughs> that's it oh yeah i've had to god don't talk to me about bloody your bloody horse racing yeah if i was only as i was on the other side and i tried that at one stage i found oh in, in amongst my gambling bloody things uh you could actually lay the horses on betfair you could actually be the bookie yeah trust me that didn't work either <laughs> mate so that's why i'm sitting here oh, yeah. doing this uh so when you when you headed off to like as you said there wasn't you're a very, very big advocate for Wasm. You're one of the one of the early Wasm men yourself. Uh, who'd you go to Wasm with? Any? I know Macca was one of them because uh, he's dobbed you in for this. But uh, you got any sort of blokes in and around your years that are in the well-known mining figures that were that are in Wasm with you doing your degree? Oh, look for sure. I, yeah, a lot of the Wasm boys and girls they're all out there running these businesses at all levels now. So you know, pretty proud institution. Um, I think we run the Australian resources sector, but you know that's just a dig at the rest. But um, no, look, we had some. We oh, had it's a lot too of... much coal in New South Wales, exactly. mate. No yeah, that's, a, that. that's a dirty word. No <laughs> one wants coal. Can't invest in that anymore. <laughs> but um, no, we had some. We had a lot of lot of characters, and there's a lot of rat bags actually. Uh, David Flanagan was a couple of years above me uh, yeah. when I was in the first year. He was in fourth year, and and uh, yeah, a few stories I probably won't put on air on this one. But <laughs> but Fano was Fano was a character. He still is now, and um, but you know, uh, you know, just yeah, really good lad. Obviously, Stewie Tonkin, CEO, yeah. you know. Tonks was, uh, I was uh, second year when he started in first year, but we finished in the same year. So, but you know, someone. Why was that, Bill? You got you took you a bit longer, did it, mate? Oh uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I dodged football training. Pre-season football training broke my ankle, and sort of that put me back a few, <laughs> a few semesters. And uh, and then someone had run the, the tavern for the last year, so you know that was uh, myself. <laughs> And Simon Jessup, so I don't know if you know Simon, but Simon's another rat bag. He's a COO of Saracen now. He's done really well, but yep. uh, big Jessup. And uh, I lived together for a long time. Pat Bonniewell's another one who runs Burncut yep. now. Um, you know, Pat was a, a good lad, obviously Macca. Uh, and probably the other one who's, I think when I was in fourth year, he started in first year was Rally Finlayson from Saracen. But, you know, yep. he was running around little nappies there and, you know, have, have a bit of a dig at him now. You know, he's still, he's still three or four years behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's like that. I did the episode with me mate Tucker yesterday. As I said, we've gone from this is the all time. If I keep on this trajectory, I'll get Donald Trump on the next episode because I've gone from me mate Tucker, who's the biggest scumbag you'd ever meet to yourself within one episode. But we were we just had a session of talking bulk shit for an hour and um and we we're just sharing all these stories and we we're saying how I was going to going going to interview a corporate executive next day's like, But yous are all just normal blokes like the rest of us for you all went to uni and did the same shit you just like some are just uh as it the words he said they're just heaps fucking smarter (laughs) (laughs) but uh that's look it all just relates i'll talk to i think we talked about 10 minutes about the showers at work and tez just uh called me today and he was um Oh, he, he, he said, oh, you should have told him about you can get the diamond driller's mud and put it in the shampoo and it bloody ends up frothing up 20 times more than shampoo. So every, everyone can relate. Oh, it's bloody hilarious. Um, so, mate, when you like, you went through the wasm years, probably the best bloody, some of the best years of your life as uni is for all of us. Um, 
when you, I guess when you first won't focus too much on the early early mining career, but the one thing I want to know is like when you when you got into mining, when you got your first your first job, did you did you have it in your head like, right? I'm going to do something big here. I'm not I'm not going to just fit in with the fit in with the flow of things. I, I'm, I'm going to go out and do something. I don't think anyone starts out like that, but. I, I think I did, and that's why that's why I've, <laughs> that's why I've had me demise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I, I've always, you know, I've always, yeah, had a focus on my career. I'm not saying I'm anal about it, but I've always had, you know, goals I want to achieve and, and stuff I want to do. So I've always had that from day one. But but I've also had a, a view that if you if you work hard and be the best you can, then you'll eventually get there. Um, so. I just loved it, mate. You know, from day one, I, I just, from the first vacational holidays I did, I had to bloody wait on the, you know, because I've got a birthday in a no, bloody November. You know, I was 17 in my first year of uni, so I had to wait on the surface two days before going underground because you can't go underground until you're oh, 18. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Cohen all yeah. shaft out yeah. of bloody Matana Minerals out at Mikatara. So, but, yeah. uh, and yeah, from the day I went underground there, I just loved it. Yeah. just never, never changed since. Yep. And when you, I guess you early, the early days, this is what everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to know that blokes like uh, Bill Beeman or indeed human like the rest of us. In the early days, mate, any, uh, have you got any sort of, now I'm sure most of those mines aren't in operation and the companies, you won't, uh, there won't be any litigation issues arise out of this, but have you got any funny stories that uh, you might have, might or might not have been involved in that it might like, let's uh let's say equipment damage for example or uh, uh some carton stories you might be willing to share oh without incriminating myself or you, others you, you, could, you could just say look a bloke refer to it as a bloke oh look uh, i'll reference one I'll, I'll tell you a couple actually there's, there's, a, there's a few but it um there's the vacational holiday ones, which are always a bit different to the, uh, to the ones when you graduate. But um, the vacational holidays back then was pretty, pretty loose, you know, like you, you know, cross, it wasn't a drug and alcohol policy until I, when I worked at Walloona in 1998. So yeah, before right. that, as you know, in like just actual random. Well, there was drug no, there was no testing. testing. There was yeah. no actual policy. Yeah. Like it's people were smoking dope and they were drinking, drinking piss and coming yeah. into work drunk. So, you know, so those days were, you know, they were pretty. You know, and you're working around underground miners and you know your shift changes then because you, you're working your your 14 days there, but you had to have your shift change. So yeah. you go into the bloody Mekathera pub or the Q pub and oh what is it the Royal Mail isn't it was that there was it there oh, then I can't remember the name of the bloody thing but yeah there's a yeah. few few you know so yeah there's a few little adventures there <laughs> where you know you come into night shift and probably not in the best um, sort of shape but uh, you know I won't explain that one but I, I want to reference um, Shane McClay Macca because <laughs> you interviewed him the other day but so Macca and I we've known each other since the start of uni we started the same year but you know he finished a year before me but anyway He's a consultant now. Party <laughs> 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 joke. Sorry, Mecca. But, um, but so we, we yeah, studied together and um, then we lived together for a couple of years as well. And, and we both started at Canowna Bell. I was working my last year, um, doing my fifth year running the pub, working four 12-hour shifts Monday to Thursday and running the pub Friday, uh, Thursday night and Friday and Sunday after rugby. And uh, so Mac and I did service crew there for that year. And uh, he was a graduate then. And uh, did you notice that scar under his body? No, I didn't. Under his eye? No, right. Oh, he's got this nice scar there. It's fading. He might now. have put some foundation on it to cover it up for he you. Yeah, you never done. know. Yeah. Oh, the running, the running joke is, you know, he's pissing me off on bloody service crew. So I ran the knuckle over him. <laughs> And split his, split his eye up, and that's why he's got that. He, he had about 12, well, no, I think it was about 20 stitches in there, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, opened him right up. But, uh, <laughs> but that's not the, but the real story, is though. No, he's, and he, he hate this because he prides himself on his infrastructure, but we're hanging poly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you get your bloody your, your 110, your four inch poly there, and you run your services because, you know, we're running the services on, on bloody on service day, and, and, you know, you're using the cage of the bloody. IT bloody to leverage the poly and hold it back 
And I think these days you've probably got stoppers and fucking hangers. And yeah, there's actual, shit there, yeah, yeah. So certified equipment yeah, to use for this. Yeah, equipment. Not, a, not a stubby bolt in the uh, in And you've got corner. your full arrest yeah. on and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We're, none of that crap. Yeah. I, uh, we weren't working out of a bogger bucket, okay. That's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. Um, we used to. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're hanging the poly there and bloody... And, the, and, you know, you get the tension on the poly and all of a sudden it literally flicked over the edge of the bloody cage and hit him in the face. Oh, really? And, Shit, and that would hurt. safety glasses... They yep. cut him. So at least he was wearing his safety glasses. Yeah, so yeah. take that, listeners. But yeah, um, yeah that, that bloody <laughs> swing of the poly absolutely cleaned him up. Oh, that would have been the surface. Especially that bloody 110. And mate, this is going to be great because if I can get a feud going between you two, this is going to be great for business. <laughs> <laughs> <We> can, uh, <laughs> he might win. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that's, uh, that's all that, like, that uh, litigation we were talking about earlier. It's like, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was sort of laughing when I was listening to his podcast. I thought, oh, I'm going to get him. <laughs> well, he, do- he dobbed you and he said, uh, he just said, nah, ask Bill straight away. You won't have a drama. So I think that's how I, uh, our, um, you know, approached you about this. I said, "Hey, Bill, uh, Macca said you'd uh, do this interview, so yeah, we're good to go." Are we? <laughs> there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any professional aspects to it. But, oh, there you go. I love it. Awesome. Those, those old days, mate. They were, you know, they were. You know, you look back on those and you go, "How? Why did we do some of the things we did back then?" Yeah. You know, like, and you just. But, yeah. but at the time, that's just how it was. You wouldn't even, well, you wouldn't even blink an eye of it. We used to have the aluminium bloody cages, one-man cages. You put it on the boom and you'd be charging off a left boom while you're finishing off the reamers on the right, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you're you know, doing the info and you're doing the lifters. and you look, No mesh above your head. No mesh. Yeah. And you just look back and you go, man, like, you know, mm. you can see why we went through the issues we did back there. And you look at that and we're so glad all that crap's gone now. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, it's uh, I guess, all those, a lot of these things that have been bought in are obviously been written in blood a lot of them like they're they're all there for exactly. a reason the yeah exactly why it is these days yeah and oh even just it's funny when people you always think people are exaggerating when they say oh yeah you used to rock up to work pissed and everything but it's just how it was like they didn't uh there, there wasn't those like we're just used to blowing in the breath out every day god imagine they <laughs> put those blokes back bloody 20 odd years ago doing that oh. just snooze at the idea even fuse firing we only what we only cut that out 20 yeah 20 years ago yeah right yeah you know, no there's, there's so yeah. much stuff that's didn't. when you can get incriminated so i won't go down that part. yeah <laughs> that's a, and that's a that's the best thing i've found about like the wa guys and the, the wasm guys and everything like as you said you were like two days before you were 18 waiting waiting to go underground like where you know new south wales you finish school when you're a year later like the way the system is there and you you go to uni you do a few vac works but like, i know like i think i was about 22 before i really really got into it but as you say guys like yourself the, in wa you just and especially like macca growing up in a mining town in Canberra, like you they're just straight into it at 18 and it just gives you so much extra by the time you're 30 you just got that bloody so much extra time under your belt compared to you know, so mate, look, we'll just go. Geez, you're going to convert me to bloody wasm tattoo at this by the end of this friggin' right? Oh, so your early days, mate. You, you're the big. It's a big word in the industry around Northern Star as well as mentors, and you would add you had oh, shitloads of them actually can you who, who were the i guess the big few from your early mining careers and look and you you probably had so many different mentors and i was assuming your father was one for business yeah um you would have ones for actual operating within mining then down management so what well, i guess what were some of the big mentors for each of those categories yeah look you go through stages and <clears throat> I'm, I'm a huge advocate for mentors i think everyone in life should have mentors and and as you progress and you develop yourself personally and professionally, you, you, you outgrow certain mentors, yeah. but you never forget them as well. And that's why I love about even my original mentors are still mentors now because they keep your feet on the ground, which is yep. great. But yeah, you know, and there's different stages. Like I reckon my early graduate stages, you know, like there were some great guys that looked after us, like Paddy Ryan, who, who ran an Irishman that now lives in New Zealand. I think he runs a bloody chicken farm down there or something. But um, he was a great advocate. He was an ops manager with Elton's and, and all of us. He, he looked after the graduates. That was his passion as well. And, and, you know, Elton's had an awesome graduate program. You know, Mac was through it. I was through it. Stewie Tonkin. Yep. You know, there was a lot of us that come through that vintage of the Elton's. And they knew they wouldn't keep them all, but at least they could train up and give them half a skill set. And um, yep. maybe when they get into management, they give a contract. But uh, Kenny Miller, Mung Miller was one Mung, of my main... Yeah, and he's on, the, he's on the hit list. He is on the hit list. It's such an absolute legend. I, I yeah. don't often say Mungrel Miller, but um, a lot of people in the industry and the old-timers would know him as Mung, Mung Miller, but uh, he's Ken Miller to me, Kenny Miller. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, utmost respect, he he saw potential in me from a very early days. Um, yep. He was a guy that pulled me out of Cambelda and took me to Marminko um, and gave me the opportunity to be an alternate project manager at the age of 24. Um, yep. And this was at Walloon, 150 blokes um, underground. Um, big operation and you know, at 24 years of age, that was a pretty big role back then. And uh, um, so Kenny's excellent and uh, yeah, still keeping in touch with him. And uh, you know, he sort of he was one of those guys he, we used to call him the Sam Newman of mining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, right. um, what, what he eventually time? did retire. <laughs> yeah, all oh, right, eh? yeah. But, um, but yeah, he, he was going to retire about 50 times, but he eventually has hung up the boots. But um, and as you know, mate, we got him to do a fair bit of work with Northern Star as we bought assets. He'd come yep. in and help just that three six month transition and and give us a bit of honest opinion and, and yep. that sort of stuff. So legend of the industry, mate. Yeah. Um, I had Rock Manning, Rock Manning at Barminko, um, Kenny. Uh, I moved from Plutonic, uh, sorry, Waluna to Plutonic back in the Barmico days. So I went from Ken Miller to Rock Manning and, and was Rock's 2IC. Um, and this is when when um, Plutonic was flying back in 1998-99. And uh, Rock was excellent. I worked there for a couple of years under Rocky and Stu did as well. Um, I managed to recruit Stu to replace me so I could go into Perth office. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, Rock was excellent and unfortunately had, a, had an accident. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's, you know, killed his career off, but Rock was excellent. And, uh, again, another great Cambelda Cam, product. And, you know, I can't forget Peter Bartlett, mate, as a mentor yep. from Barminko. It's, you know, Peter was just an extraordinary, talented and smart mining engineer. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a mining engineer. Never, never knew that. You always just mines, know him. Mate. Yeah, you just always knew him as a businessman. No, you never knew him as a mining engineer. No, it was a mining go. engineer and, and just one of the smartest and best number people I've ever seen in my career. And uh, you learn a lot when you're around those people. And mm. uh, yeah, and you know, created a fantastic business that still lives on now. And obviously, he's part of Austral. But uh, you know, Peter was unbelievable. I spent eight and a half years with Barminko, so I learned a lot out of those guys. And and you know the, you, you got these stages and probably the last stage in northern star was was one of my non-exec directors chris rowe who's my non-exec chairman up until i pushed him out the door and i come exec chair and yep. and he, he stepped back as a non-exec uh director only but uh chris has been excellent for for me both on a professional and a personal level in this corporate sort of stage of my life yeah and i think it'd be like from i guess from the perspective of guys like rock and Peter Bartlett looking from the I guess the Bar Minko perspective seeing you know young Billy Boom and young Stewie Tonkin there as young mining engineers working in and around assets like Plutonic and to see he's now running a company that that owned Plutonic like just to see that I'm sure that'd be um on the other end of the spectrum from the actual mentor side they'd just be like holy shit like these they'd be oh, they'd be pretty proud, proud uh, mining fathers you'd say it's a, and it'd be just great to you know watch blokes go from the early 20s as uh just you know straight out of uni to actually be be owning these assets that they were running contracts at it's pretty it's just a, a remarkable to look back on i reckon yeah so no nah, look stewie and i we had lunch with peter at the end of last year actually at uh at coco's and um yeah nothing just, but the vest mate with food i reckon oh, we were just reminiscing but yeah he was he was, he was very proud of of the achievements because if you look at you know great organizations like that and, and the people that have come out of that and what they've gone on and done it's you know it was a breeding ground of great great talent um at, at all facets you know not, not just mining engineers but you, you know look at the jump operators the, the operators and you know the whole sort of dna of the underground contracting game got generated by peter bartlett and steve Cogman and burnka yeah when you look at it they're the two forces and and what they created has gone global now yep um, and they're and they're still spear they're still spearheading it today though like well coggy's yep. still doing his thing and like barminko like there you guess you two you two premium providers in that or your most well-known providers in that just, well, you have to say that, mate, because you still work for them. Of but course, that's mate. another disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they are. Look, they've been cutting Barminko. You know, like the rival where he where he had for you know the eight and a half years I was there, and then Stu for another seven. You know, like they are, were the number one competition. You know, it was great. It was yeah. great. It was healthy to have two you know great contractors going head to head and trying to win jobs and beat each other. And and if you look at you fast forward 15, 20 years down the track, and then you look at how they perform now, that's because of you know the building blocks all the way through that a lot of people did in that competition you created a really healthy underground contracting game yeah 
Yeah, and it's an, it's just a, it would have evolved so much over the years to the contracting side, mostly a lot about the safety focus and the probably just be to see what and I guess your technology and systems like as you would have been, but it's it'd be funny to look, look a lot of those god squad jump operators you talked of they've ended up working for northern star some of them as well at periods it's uh yeah we yeah. just got we just got a crew back the other day oh, did too. You? <laughs> <laughs> they still got it or what their eyes would be gone by now oh wouldn't they? no no look I, I think we've made the uh, we've made the equipment a lot easier these days to operate and, uh, and that's the one problem with you bloody jump operators is we can't get you off the levers and get you into management and uh you know pass on the skill set of the next generation but anyway we'll, we'll get there but, yeah, um, that, is, nah, a, that look, is a question I've got for you later on. Actually, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one. But, um, but no, nah, look, it's great. You know, those those crews are still running around, and yeah, you know, it's like guys like Gary Donovan. You know, he's one of the industry's best. You know, and it was Ken Miller that pulled him off the diesel fitter mechanic and put him yep. on the jumbo years ago. So yep. you know, people again, great people spot talent and and understand that. It'd be good to get him back off the levers and get him into management at some point of time. But problems we pay you too much yeah that's unfortunate <laughs> we said god imagine yeah imagine how much money you'd make if you actually owned a jump over. <laughs> right we'll uh, we'll take a quick breather um after that well i want to i guess we want to get into like go into more depth about as you said being an ops manager for bar Minka at such a young age and dealing with these god squad guys in your 20s and the, these older guys and the challenges and then we'll get into the your early business ventures and like and everyone's waiting to hear about uh I'm, I'm going to try and not keep it too, like, shareholder information about Northern Star. So I want to ask you questions that you don't get asked, the, the, the hard ones. They're the, they're the interesting ones that people want to hear. We've already got the underground stories. Anyway, we'll get back to Bill in a moment. I've got uh, Terry from Tasman Safety and Training Services with me. Now, Tez, mate, your shot firing courses. Uh, what separates your shot firing courses from the competition? I know they're your bread and butter. Give us your spiel. Basically, the trainers, they are still, you know, charge up trainers today as long as myself. It's based on what actually happens down the hole um, and the flexibility, you know. We tailor the client's needs. Ah, good stuff. And how long does a shop firing course go for with you guys? The RPL refresher, for those people who've got licenses, is one day. Um, the full courses for the new people coming through, the theory's three and a half days, followed by practical on-site, and it's all fixed cost. So there's no extra hidden costs to the clients. What we quote, what we quote up front is what they pay. Ah, good stuff, mate. Mate, how does a uh, company getting get Tasman on board to get some shop firing courses ASAP to their site? They can email uh, info i n f o at t a z training dot com dot au or check out our website tasmansafetyandtraining.com.au and there's the phone numbers are on there. Awesome, mate. Thanks, Abe, for that, Tez. Anyway, let's uh, get back to Bill. Right, we're back. Uh, Bill, the, I guess the, the bit I want to talk about is that, that role you had, I guess the, I guess probably, yeah, I guess what crafted you into, like, before you went into your Northern Star Ventures and your Lions Mining Ventures, but the ops manager within Barminka at such a at such a young age, um, I assume you just would have would have been such a great learning curve. And as you said, you're mentored by guys such like, such as Peter Bartlett and all those guys with uh, decades worth of mining experience within Barminka. But how how did you was it ever daunting at all? Like that you're you're this this guy in his twenties that's I guess you, you're essentially your bloody like a two IC in a in a, a WA's biggest mining contractor, and you, you're barking orders to these guys in their forties and fifties that have been mining longer than you've been alive, uh, mate. How where do you where do you start? I guess. Yeah, no. Look, it's a it's a very good question. It's um probably stems back to how I how I started my career and what I wanted to do is is. You know, when you when you go to you know university and you study things like mining engineering, you know you're going to end up being a mine manager or a general manager or or you know the CEO down the track. Eventually, if you you've got the drive, you'll get there. And then you start looking at well, if I want to sit in those ultimate roles, I've got to have the the experience behind me. So I'm always one of the, those people. You have to be able to have the experience to be able to to manage and and instruct and and be able to go from that. So. I was very different to a lot of mine engineers. So when I 
when I, um, the time I finished, because I took five years to do a four-year degree, <clears throat> literally when I finished and graduated, I had over a, well and truly over a year's experience underground already. Um, and you know, you need your two years experience to get your you know, chip boss ticket and then go on your first class after five. But so I, I took a view that, but I wanted to work, I loved underground, so I wanted to work underground. But, and I, I made a pact with the Elton's guys, Paddy Ryan, and I said, look, I don't want anyone to know I'm, I'm a mining engineer. No one knew it. Yeah, right. Until the day I actually left, four years later after underground. Yep. Um, everyone just thought I was a young punk buddy, you know. But yeah, there was only a select couple of people that knew I was a mining engineer, but I made sure that even when I transferred sites, no one knew I was a mining engineer um, doing my time. Because I, I got on the jumbo really quickly. You know, yep. I spent a year on the jumbo. Um, did that. And then, you know, and I was, you know, back then I was getting 650 a shift. Yeah, yeah which is, we well, apply inflation to that to the modern day. Yeah, <laughs> it's still not near what you're earning, but, you know, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't too bad. But I was getting paid for what I was doing. I was holding yeah. my own. I was, I was bolting a mission and, you know, getting me a few cuts a day, a shift yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. when I stepped off that, everyone looked at me stupid. Why are you stepping off the jumbo? That part? I said, well, I want to be a shift boss. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, because I had the experience over the holidays and yada yada in my age, you know, you, you couldn't be a shift boss until you turned 21. Yep. So I had to go to Northern Territory. So I went and worked at the Granites for a year. Yep. And I shift bossed up there for a year until I got a, got sick of the joint. You know, that was that was hard work up there at yep. the Granites, um, if you understand what it was Hard like. end, hard end hot. Oh, I, back yeah. then it was, a, yeah, it was a horrible camp and all that sort of crap that goes with it. It was yeah. you, you guys are blessed in the mining camps oh, now. That, Seriously, that we yeah. are. We, that yeah. we are. Yeah, yeah. first yeah. a bit Oh, Creso Hurstick was the, moment, uh, the project manager back then for Elton's and he was hard. He hated mining engineers, hated them with a passion. <laughs> it was only me and Stewie Tonkin he liked. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the, the whole time we spent with Elton's. Yeah, anyway. Did a year of shift bossing up there and uh, and had enough and and got uh, uh, I quit actually and then Paddy Ryan found out I quit and he said no 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 come down to Junction and, and start there and because I had I sort of went down to Junction I already had three and a half sort of years three years experience then a uh, year on the jumbo sort of year, you know another year of shift bossing and and sort of six months to a year of service crew and trucking and charging all that sort of stuff and. Um, when I went down to Junction, I'll never forget my first day down there at Junction, and I rocked up, and I, I was always a, when I, even when I was 21, I looked like I was 16, 17. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, you've held your age well, Bill. <laughs> I, I looked really young back then. I was a skinny little runt, bloody thing, but um, anyway, I went down there, and they literally threw me shift bossing first shift, yep. and I'll never forget, bloody, I was there on starting eight-hour shifts then, and it was, it was afternoon shift, and there was this jumbo operator, I don't know if you heard him, Alan Bloor. Blory. Anyway, he's one of the most... He still is. How you going, Blory? I love you. But, <laughs> but, um, he's one of the most vocal jump operators I've ever come across in my career. And, and, and he's okay. He's a good operator. He's, he's, um, but he's very vocal. Yep. And uh, I'll never forget, I'm buddy handing out the you know, pre-start you know, job cards. You know, and Blory comes along and he's like... I hand out the card and he goes, Oh, you my fucking nipper, are you? <laughs> And he didn't didn't think, and I, yeah. I and everyone, you know, the whole muster room's full. There's about forty people in there, blokes. And I said, "No, I'm your shift boss." And he just like he just went, "What the fuck? <laughs> you are not old enough to be my shift boss." And he abused, you know, fuck. And he made sure everyone heard. Yep. And um, <laughs> and then bloody the the next bloody you know the shift that night, he was telling everyone, "Oh, what are these pricks doing up in the bloody you know." Castle, buddy, sending this young prick yeah, to bull, buddy. They still called it bullshit castle, yep, then, eh? Yep. yep. He, he abused the shit out of me, apparently, for that shift. But a week later, after we finished our roster, he, he actually, I'll give you credit, he come up and he, he apologised. Yeah, right. Yep. And he said, nah, look, he goes, Bill, you're awesome. You know, I know, you, you know, he was very complimentary and, and, uh, and he apologised because he said, look, I abused the shit out of you and, and behind your back, I said this, this, this. But he goes, after working for you a week, I said, man, highly, you know, love to it. And, Glory and I worked together for, for a period of time after that. But, uh, but so I, I was always confronted with that young person stuff yep. from an early stage. And, as and if, you, if you let it bother you, you, you you're losing straight yeah, up, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. So like for me, that early grounding of working underground and holding you know, high roles like jump operator or shift boss at a very young age, you know, like I you know, had to wait until I turned bloody 23 to get my first class ticket, you know, and... You know, because I had that and it was always a few years ahead, It's I got used to that. And so when you get into an ops manager role at 28, I'd already spent four or five years yep. physically labouring underground. So when you get into that role, um, you know, I had no kickback. 
Yeah. I had more kickback with people like Blory as a shift boss than I did when I stepped in the op manager's role. Yeah. And that and that's it's what we talked about before, like getting into it so early. You said twenty eight when you started as an ops manager. You got like so I'm I'm thirty two and I've only got, you know, I, I class it as eight eight and a half years nearly nine years underground at 32 but as you said you're 28 you're straight into it 18 you got you got 10 years under your belt already so yeah effectively and, and it's and i guess and that well, i guess it answers my question for me it's like what why it probably wasn't so daunting because you you got a fair bit behind you already so yeah i think the hardest role i had was yeah, as, as a step up was really that relief project manager that was a step from being a site engineer, which I was with GBF there until Kenny Miller plucked me out, um, and going into you know actually managing miners, you know because yep. it was you know it was a nine and five roster. So when rocks, you know when Kenny Miller or Rock Manning are out, you know you you're the boss for five days and you got your foreman and everyone else under it. That to me was the biggest learning curve. I'll never forget standing up at the pre-start meeting at uh, Plutonic, and there's you know we had 150 miners there. I think about 200-odd people, 250 in the total crew. But, you know, your muster room's full of 60 or 70 people and you're getting up there talking and you're literally shitting your pants talking mm. to all the miners like that and, you know, and they're looking at you going, you know, who's this 24-year-old, you know? like. Yep. And that was the hardest and that, that was my biggest learning curve. There was a couple of, actually a couple of jump operators. Um, one of them in particular come and see me um, after a couple of sort of, you know, public speaking. I didn't say, look, you know, the way you're talking, you've got to sort of do X, Y, Z. And um, and I took that and still still those lessons yeah. today I, I I took with me and that was my that was my sort of changing moment of how to talk to people and how to manage yeah. people was yeah you, you know you just, there's a different style and and uh, and it's evolved a lot you you probably yeah. haven't seen it but from the guys like you know like when I said I don't call Kenny Miller Mungrel Miller because I never saw the Mungrel Miller yeah but geez I heard about it in the, in yeah, the yep. 80s 80s yeah. and 70s and <laughs> 80s but I never saw it in the 90s because that yeah. that's old school management had disappeared and uh, yeah. and which is great but guys like ken could evolve and, and and they sort of helped you nurture your management skills moving forward yeah so what and what were those like i guess those public speaking things because I, I specifically remember Australo putting up a linkedin post it was probably a year ago or so and there's, there was a picture of you speaking at a i think it was an investing conference and then there's a picture of you speaking on site to the workers and it says like yeah bill best in the game speaking doesn't matter your audience you're still delivering the same message so what uh, I guess for people that there'd be people listening to these lights, especially the upturn in mind, and people would be taking those roles on now as project managers, and they might be shitting themselves in the in the office. What are give what are those couple of tips that you might not want to share your trade secrets, but just that stuff you still do today? What what are those things? Oh look, it's a good question. It's um every audience is different, and you speak differently to different audiences, like. It's like, I, you know, I'm born and bred in Esperance and I've got a little place east of Esperance out at the Duke of Orleans. And uh, my kids said to me the other day when I was driving out there and well, I was out there for, for Easter and they said, oh, Dad, you talk different out here. And I went, because I'm home and I'm with different, you know, I'm with you know, yeah. real salt of the earth people, farmers and fishermen and miners that come down from Kalgoorlie and, and spend the weekend down there. Um, yeah, you, you do. You, you assimilate to what environment you are, so you talk differently. To difference, like a bloody if, chameleon, essentially. Well, just you are a bit. Like if yeah. I'm in if I'm in the city of London, talking to my major shareholder BlackRock, and you know, talking to Evie Hambro, who's the god of resources from a fund management side, um, I speak differently than what we're speaking now, or you know, or you'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just yeah. yeah it, it's just different environments. So I think that's one thing I learnt was when you're in a certain environment, you, you, you've just got to talk. You got to talk to the audience that's in front of you, yeah. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean you got to swear and do X, Y, Z, but you know, you talk differently to different groups, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably one of the key things I learned. And the other one is, you know, just everyone, everyone has a say, and everyone's everyone should be respected. Yeah, you know, everyone's got mm. a voice, and you know, the best ideas I've ever got in my career have come from the shop floor. They've never come from sitting in a glass house yeah and you hear so many people our project manager's the same he's like look no one up in he even says no one up in bullshit castle can come up with it all 10 especially like 10 people we've got 100 people here let's get you get 100 minds involved and yep but you create so much of an engaging community on on your sites and i assume you, it's what northern stars about like you just 
you, you're getting everyone engaged and you don't no one said that the the boss that was up the front yelling and calling everyone bloody shit and f and c's or whatever like no one says he's the best boss they've ever had <laughs> you know like it's the it's the guys that just the bosses that you remember that just get up there and talk to you and get you involved rather than bloody yeah, yeah, the ones that get underground. one that you know like as i've always had this saying that the you know the the bubble starts at the coal face and only gets bigger as it comes to surface so you know if management can get down get off their bloody shiny bums and off the seats and get underground and go and see people in the workplace i think that's one of the key things and we've done that at pogo in alaska is you know when we've i, I shocked the hell out of them the other day is you know we, i rocked up i think i got decided at about six o'clock at night after four flights and 37 hours to get there and yep. and the first thing i did was kitted up and went underground on night shift till bloody one in the morning and yep. and uh went down to the workplace saw all the operators having a chat to them and they'd never seen anyone from senior management on night shift you know let alone from a yeah. corporate office um and the next next morning they're all coming in at five and i'm waiting for them there as they're yep. coming off night shift and they're all like sitting there spinning out but again it's just yep. being at the coalface mate it's that's the environment you know when you look at the operators you know they're doing you know basically 243 if they're two and one they're doing 243 you know, rotations, iterations of work per year and management might do one. So the best yep. idea is going to come from people that do it 243 times. Yep, and uh, exactly. And then just even being down there 12 hours a day and then look, I've, I've been through the phase where you, 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 you disregard the shit coming from underground you did really you don't you don't fully appreciate the some of the concerns that the underground crew are raising sometimes and it's but it's just you got to now that i'm i'm back back down there it's just you're like how like you're down there for 12 hours you experience it there's nothing nothing you can see on the computer that's going to make you identify some of the shit that these guys are going to bring to you and you just got to utilize everything and like as you said going down going down to the jumbo don't bloody talk to them afterward get down there on the jumbo with them and they'll like the the shit you can learn just by be- getting down the hole but the people are just getting bogged down so much in a lot of the bullshit these days as they well do. up you, in you the office compliance and right. yeah and had a good some good yarns with uh, adam turns and i know tez as well like just talking about the i guess the 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 path that safety uh systems and stuff are going to go taking going forward and actually whereas like well what's the what's the what's the use of a workplace inspection compared to like for people and more just the flow and effect of the safety people entering them in time x and the time it takes for them not being underground and like that's a whole whole nother kettle of fish and it's um but it's it's going to take someone pretty big and bold to like sort of steer away from those sort of things but look it's discussions that have to be out i guess that yeah uh that's now when you like when like, we're heading towards what are we up to we're up to your late 20s i guess in the chronological side of things so were you when did you start really thinking in your head like right i'm gonna i'm gonna have a crack myself yeah look i i've always been entrepreneurial because my dad yeah. was an entrepreneur so like he, he drummed that into me so yeah, I've always had those aspirations and, and still do that and still have those. Um, but I, I think a bit of a catalyst to me was was this um, partial sale of Barminko. That was that sort of yeah, that sort of threw me. Um, yeah. You know, we had a pretty intense strategy session with just core, and I mean top ten type people in the organisation locked ourselves away for a couple of days and and had this. And we just and this stage, mate, we'd just grown the business a hundred percent in two years. Yeah. Like, Revenue had grown a hundred percent in two years, doubled the operations. I imagine the blood, sweat, and tears from everyone involved in the organisation to do that, and we grew profitability with it. So that was extraordinary times, um, and that was you know in a time well oh four oh five oh six um, when the boom was you know kicking in. But they were extraordinary times and busy times, and you know, I don't miss them. That's one thing. One yeah. thing I said to Stewie Tonkin when he came over, I said, "Mate, your phone's not going to ring, mate, because yeah. <laughs> you're on a mine owner now." And he first thing he did after the first week, and he goes, it "Didn't ring." I said, yeah. "Welcome to my world." <laughs> you know, you get a hundred, you get a hundred calls a day, yeah, and yeah. one hundred and fifty emails, and it was just intense. But we went through that massive, you know, growth, and then we sat down as a management team and said, "Well, let's grow this business again in the next two years by another fifty percent, which yeah. is still a big order," um, and we put a pretty big strategy, a full strategy around them. And we went and sold that strategy to a thousand people. And that was me directly going yep. across all the sites, every single crew. 
Um, and part of that was a bit of an injection of funds, but it wasn't sort of clear to me at the time that it was actually a bit of a partial sale. So that hurt me a fair bit, like yeah. professionally, because I went out and sold a story to a thousand people that were working for me. Um, and sort of, and it wasn't quite the true story. So that was something that I that, that did hurt me a bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, it is what it is. Um, but probably the main catalyst was, you know, that was that was pretty busy times, and we'd, we'd been through a lot and grew a lot. And and it was Barry Upton said to me years ago, and when I got into that ops manager role, he goes, "It'll burn you out in two years, Bill." And I went. I probably did it after about five. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, and I remember coming into into work, and this is in you know early '07. You know, it was a height of the boom. This is where we had a seventy percent turnover at Barming Co. Then seventy percent, just because it was so similar to what we're going through now. Yeah, fitters so were going work, for 10, yeah. ten cents an hour to X Y Z. Yeah, yep. You know, operators and the nickels booming. So jump operators. You know, like you'd wake up and three people had left or 10 people or 20 and yep. you know and this is i had carrot working for me then doing the recruiting and you know we'd come back after christmas new year and okay what's the damage we have to replace 70 people in a week yep. um and and that sort of wears you down a bit you know and you're wearing the stress of the organization you lose one operator you know it's it's a revenue stream and everything flows from it as you know so you know that wears you down a bit and, and your clients were very demanding so like you know it was hard to get people um you know were you know, look, the company was making good money and, and, you know, yada, 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 but it was just, we were busy. And and I'll never forget, I was like, my clients were starting to give me the shits, to be honest. Like, they'll, you know, they'll like banging me and they'll banging me for, you know, injuries on diamond drillers and I had nothing to do with the diamond drill division department. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were the bigger department, we got smashed for that. Yep. And I'm like, fucking hell, you know. You're like, just getting poked and poked and yeah, poked. Yeah, I was getting yeah. poked. And my final straw came when because my client for bloody couple of years was bloody macca he was running gualia as general manager building that and i'll never forget like he's bloody i come into work one day and he he was on the phone abusing the shit out of me after being at my house the weekend with his kids and i'm putting on the big barbecue and supplying all the beer and wine and everything monday morning he's ringing me up and he's pounding the crap out of me performance of barminko at gualia and and xyz and and i just I got home that day and I said to the wife, I said, for fuck's sake, I said, <laughs> when your best mate's bagging, you know, absolutely banging the shit out of you at work, it's time to make a change. <laughs> and that was actually the catalyst. I said, if yeah. I'm going to get bashed like this, I'm going to do it for myself. Yep. So you thank, you, I guess the, you're thanking him in a way, Vaka. Uh, <laughs> we'll put yeah. a positive spin on it for yeah, you, Vaka. We'll you're confident a bit here, brother. <laughs> uh, he, he needs to, he needs to. But nah, look, he's, um, we've been good for each other across our careers. Yep, yep. There you go. And, and what was it? So I guess, it, was that, I guess, the conce- early conception of Alliance Mining? Yeah, it was. It was... Because at the same time then when, when we're going through stuff like that is we actually got approached. We got approached by um, a guy completely out of the blue that tried to hit us up as a management team. Like, you know, pick up a management team and come and, yep. and, you know, and you'll bring a fleet of people with you. Just say, so based on, the I guess, the success you saw yeah, at Bar Minka. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was. So he targeted us and, and, and said, look, I want you guys to come and work for us. And we, we sort of said, well, well no, it's... We don't want to unless there's something in it for us. And um, and he said, "Well, I'll back you into a business." Yeah. And basically, did he funded us to, to do it? So um, yeah, that was a interesting. It was an interesting opportunity. It, it taught me a lot in business. Um, you know, you know, was, we, we had to start from scratch, and you know, we had no money. Yeah. <coughs> so we had to work out. And that, and, that's, <coughs> and this is the funny thing we'll focus on, like the, all these, I guess these ventures you've you've gone down. It's and people think, uh, I know the missus said like, so what did did he come from money or something? But like that's the thing, like it's how these ventures work. Like it's not you don't have any money. It's it's getting investors and and stuff that you need people to back your your story and your ability. I guess yeah. Yeah, mate. I sold the house, so you know, yeah. sold the house, and that's all. I, that's all we had. A bit of equity in the house, so put that in the bank, and the other two partners. Um, weren't in that position to, to sell what they had so we had to go you know cap and hand to the bank and and the bank was excellent like you know i still bank the same bank and um they saw the potential in in the individuals and our and our track record was really good so yeah so they gave us the opportunity and plus the company that that wanted us there they 
they um you know they backed us as well and not financially but it was a very good structure of how they how they did it um, they basically give us the equipment to start with and they made us mm. buy a bit to to get us on the hook yep. um, um which was you know when you got bank loans and all this sort of stuff and you're mortgaging against it, all your assets that's that's the you know not many people can do that in business to be honest like, and yeah yeah like in the late twenties like the very like very late twenties early thirties like yeah, she's all 30s. on the line yeah. yeah so like it's and we all did that you know the three of us so it was um yeah that was it was a good opportunity um and you know we set up a we did we set up a fantastic business and you know from no money and and just the way we structured the contract and and the whole shooting match you you learn a lot of how to you know, just insurances and, <clears throat> and all that sort of stuff that goes mm. with it, stuff you don't think of mm. that you've got to have in place to be able to run a business and especially a mining business. So. And, and, but stuff you don't even think to have the money for at the start, like the, just the, 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 the fucking part, the money you're paying at the start for, as you said, your, your insurance is setting, the, setting up the legal side. The It's just, it'd be just going, going, going. It's just like, yeah. when are we actually going to make some fucking money out of this? Yeah. Oh, we, 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 we cut and paste a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a whole, yeah, there's don't a, worry. I'll that's do a whole the same. story. I'll do, I'm doing the same at the moment. But um, I, I think we I think we cut and paste the pay, payroll manual, piecework manual from Barmico, but... Um, <laughs> but but they, they would have cut and pasted it from somewhere oh, anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did right. Yeah. I learned that lesson in contracting. Everyone's got your rates. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was actually I was googling last night just about like terms and conditions and stuff and um, privacy policy. Some this legal mob offered to do a privacy policy for me, and I did, it was funny. I saw this thing on Google saying uh, about about five percent of privacy policies generated by lawyers are original. They reckon most of them are all just like, even if you get a lawyer to do it, they're bloody cutting and pasting as well. And look, about about that money side of things, we'll go. Like, I guess we'll go into the, the early Northern Star days. Like you purchase Northern Star purchased Paulsons for forty mil, was it correct? Around yeah. about yeah, yeah. How I guess we like give people an idea of like right now you've. 40 mil how much did say like northern star have in the bank where like prior to getting that investing investment from investment and and fodius like where do you like you're like i want to buy this 40 million dollar asset but i've got x amount in the bank (laughs) yeah well look one one thing it's it's one thing about forking out 40 mil but then it's like how much money you got in the bank and the other side is what's the size of your what's the market cap of your company to be able to raise money from shareholders to pay for things as well yeah and it's fair to say when you know we had a market cap back then of about two million dollars yep i think we closed at eight bill today yeah um but when you're two million you're buying something 40 you know that's a 20 to one ratio yeah um I couldn't do a $160 billion deal today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you put it in context. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that that would have to be one of the all-time records of a ratio of acquisition to market cap in the history of bloody any company on the ASX, I would have thought. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, that's that was an extraordinary time. You know, we had $75,000 in the bank when we did that deal. Um, and, yeah, that was an interesting time, but probably the – the more interesting time is when we actually settled the transaction. We only had $5,000 in the bank. Really? And, uh, <laughs> and God, the way we structured the deal too, those first two weeks, um, we had no money to pay for anything. We literally had no money. Yeah. We had $5,000 in the bank and <laughs> that was there two weeks later. <laughs> we, we, we couldn't pay anyone. That is um, unbelievable. And you know, even things like, you know, the people that helped us on due diligence. Because um, Matt Macca did the DD for you, didn't he, in the he early days? He did a shit job, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, if, as he said, he said, oh, I think he said that. He said, mate, getting that, getting that deal over the line with, uh, you know, 100 grand in the bank. Oh, and now we find out five at one stage. It's, isn't that a buddy? Yeah, <laughs> well, what I, we, we promised guys like that and Stan Gilman and, and a few others, we actually said, well, they had their invoices and we said, well, you can either take cash or um, down the track <laughs> when we've got it, or you can take some um, equity and uh, and a few of the guys took equity and uh, and that's it you know and they still hold on to that equity now which is pretty cool but that's and uh, they would have believed the story as well and it's oh look and wish you could have said here's a here's a crystal ball showing what the northern star share price is going to do do you want a few shares now they would have uh, they would have said oh you don't have to give me that much but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would have paid less but no nah, look we um yeah it was that was an interesting time back then. It's you know we had a small um, due diligence team, and 
and it was. It was guys like Macca, Stan Gilman, um, guy Nathan Stoitis, another was a metallurgist, and Hillary who, uh, McDonald, who's our general counsel and company secretary now. Yep. Um, a lawyer that she's done it. She's whole pen on every deal we've done. But all, everyone in our due diligence team at Paulson's that we use, all those characters I just mentioned, they are the same due diligence team that have done every single transaction with Northern Star today. Yep. So yep. we've done about eight or nine transactions. Yep. And that and they they're called I call them their external team, except Hillary now works internally. Um, but those external people, all the same people we've done on our eight transactions since. Yep. Um, so, you know, when you're on a good thing and you've got good people, you, you back them and, and get them to keep working. Yeah, no, look, I've heard you say that so many times, especially about your geos. Like where you've, you've said it on the the business channels and everything like we back our geos it's all and as you say it's about backing backing the people i don't think old brooks still working for you today yeah. you see he was the yeah, gr the paul since when i was there i'll have to do a run through afterwards uh, if they want to see me <laughs> <laughs> awesome mate well look that's all I'm, I'm 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 splitting this episode this into two parts because i'll uh i've got to uh and i'll i've, I've got to got to get as much mileage out of this as i can so <laughs> but i'll um look the this next next episode we're going to really head into the i guess the paulson's paulson story which has shaped northern star and then oh god the beyond that as well but paulson's it was just such a such an unbelievable asset to get a to get a hold of and where it went to is probably beyond your dreams as well so look we'll uh we'll, we'll tune in for that one uh tune in for that one in a couple of days i'll just uh we'll just have a quick breather and uh we'll be uh back with bill on uh in a couple of days from now cheers Anyway, that concludes my part one interview with Billy and I want to thank Tasman Safety and Training Services for making this episode possible. Now make sure you check Tez's website out, taztraining.com.au. He's your man for anything safety and training. Now, trust me, part two does not disappoint and you'll be lucky enough to tune in for it in a couple of days. As you can tell, there's plenty left untold, so get excited. It's a great episode. Now make sure you do all the usual shit of liking Facebook, liking the Facebook page if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and a review on iTunes because it'll help the podcast spread throughout the world. Uh, someone actually listened to it in Iceland the other day, so go, go figure. Anyway, thanks again and I'll see you for part two with Billy Beeman. <laughs>